Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm really looking forward to talking with you and learning from you today. So can you start by introducing yourself and sharing a bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure, thank you. I'm so happy to be here and particularly during Pride Month. Um, I think it's a really important time to raise awareness about issues affecting LGBTQ people. So my name is Dr. Ashley Lacombe Duncan. I use she and her pronouns and I'm an assistant professor at the School of Social Work here at the University of Michigan. I co-lead a community-based participatory research initiative housed at Women's College Hospital in Toronto, Canada called the Trans Women HIV Research Initiative. And here at U of M, I'm also core faculty of the Center for Sexuality and Health Disparities and associate director of the Sexuality, Relationships and Gender Research Collective. Wonderful, thank you. And in what areas does your research focus? So my research focuses on understanding and addressing barriers to accessing healthcare among LGBTQ people, people living with HIV, and LGBTQ people living with HIV. And I have a pretty uh, big focus on trans women living with and affected by HIV, given the disproportionate prevalence of HIV among trans women, which is really shaped by social and structural uh, drivers such as stigma and discrimination. I do community-based participatory research with a social justice lens, which means that I do research that's designed by, conducted with, and for the purpose of improving the health and social well-being of LGBTQ communities. What led you to the research areas of healthcare access among LGBTQ people and women living with HIV? That's a really great question. Um, so there's actually so many things that led me to focus on this research area today, starting with growing up in a small rural community in southwestern Ontario, Canada. A lot of people, when they hear about healthcare in Canada, they think that universal access means that everyone can get access to any of the care that they need, regardless of who they are, where they live, or what they believe. And I certainly learned at a young age growing up rurally that that wasn't the case as I saw my family and friends go without access. Um, so I always kind of had this interest and went on to pursue an undergraduate degree in health sciences where I became fascinated with the social determinants of health and kind of this broader lens of how population um, health can be impacted by you know, laws and policies and, and larger aspects of structural change. Um, but specifically thinking about LGBTQ people and people living with HIV, that area really got fostered as a master of social work student. I began volunteering at a hospice for people living with HIV called Casey House, which is actually North America's oldest standalone hospice for people living with HIV. And when I started in that role, I really harbored many of the stigmatizing assumptions about what it means to be a person living with HIV that are pervasive in society today. And I learned through my experience how stigma can be challenged through knowledge. And as my relationship grew with the organization and with the clients, I became really passionate about reducing HIV stigma. And particularly that, that I saw being perpetuated by people in roles similar to mine, such as social workers, doctors, and other allied healthcare providers. 
During my time as an MSW student, I also came out as a queer woman. And so I experienced my own challenges accessing LGBTQ affirmative and competent healthcare. And so when I went back to pursue my doctoral studies, uh, I was really focused on healthcare access and particularly stigma in healthcare among LGBTQ people and women living with HIV. Thank you so much for sharing that. You recently co-authored a paper titled LGBTQ persons use of online spaces to navigate conception, pregnancy, and pregnancy loss. Can you share a bit more about this research and key findings from the study? Sure. So this study was actually funded um, through U of M. M-Cubed 3.0 initiative, which is a really great initiative because it brings together interdisciplinary collaborations from across different units on campus. So this was a collaboration between my colleagues from the School of Information, Dr. Andalibi, and the School of Nursing, Dr. Roosevelt. And we came together really over our shared interest in understanding how intersecting stigmas influence coping as well as social support seeking um, after pregnancy loss. So really we were interested in understanding how pregnancy loss stigma, anti-trans stigma and sexual stigma impacted participants' experiences and what kind of access to resources they had. So importantly, a lot of LGBTQ-focused sexual and reproductive health research focuses on HIV and STIs. As I mentioned, a lot of my own work focuses on HIV and STIs, given the disproportionate prevalence. But what this also means is that there are often gaps in other areas, and pregnancy loss being one of them. So we interviewed 17 LGBTQ plus people, including 14 who had experienced a pregnancy loss and three whose partners had experienced a loss. And we were really interested in how these participants sought and experienced social support online after loss. And what we found was that they showed really immense resilience through their use of online LGBTQ specific spaces. Um, so primarily Facebook groups actually. And these were spaces where participants often felt seen, heard, valued and received practical support that was really getting at the LGBTQ specific experiences. Um, at the same time, these spaces were still excluding of those facing multiple stigmas, such as LGBTQ people of color and those without partners. So from that work, we came up with some recommendations for how to create more affirming online spaces uh, for this group. So it was a really meaningful uh, project and experience and um, hopefully can start a trajectory of research in this area that is still so understudied. Thank you. Um, last May, a paper you co-authored titled Examining TikTok's Potential for Community-Engaged Digital Knowledge Mobilization with Equity-Seeking Groups was published by the Journal of Medical Internet Research. Can you provide insight on this work and tell us a bit more about how TikTok can be used to educate? Yeah, absolutely. This was a really fun paper to work on. And I must admit that I myself am not on TikTok, but with the support of my um, amazing uh, collaborators and the leader of uh, this work, Dr. McKinnon from York University and Dr. Kia from the University of British Columbia, both in Canada, I learned a lot. And um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. So something that that I do know a bit about is that we know that there's really a lack of formal training for medical and other allied healthcare providers 
when it comes to LGBTQ health and even less so uh, specifically for trans and gender diverse people's health. So what this means and what you know, some of my former research has shown, what much research has shown is that the burden of educating providers is often placed upon trans people. And it also means that trans folks must become highly informed about their care needs. Um, and often that information is sought through community, through peer-to-peer -peer knowledge sharing and particularly with the internet and the use of social media. So we explored how TikTok specifically could be used by community members, researchers, and healthcare providers alike to share trans-specific health information. And we described TikTok analytics data from 13 of Dr. McKinnon's TikToks about gender-affirming medicine. Um, and I think the, um, the analytics really speak to the power of this um, medium for sharing information as just one single TikTok received 70,000 views at the time we had published the paper and almost 9,000 positive endorsements. Um, and the videos overall, the 13 videos, were viewed almost 380,000 times and shared over 1,300 times. So the reach is really phenomenal. That said, of course, there are limitations, um, such as limited access to those without uh, stable internet, among others. And so this should really be seen as just one way for researchers to share their information. June celebrates Pride Month as core faculty of the UM Center for Sexuality and Health Disparities and Associate Director of the UM School of Social Work, Sexuality, Relationships, Gender, or SRG Research Collective. Can you explain the significance of acknowledging the celebration? Sure. Um, so I would say that in my various roles, with U of M, but also as an LGBTQ person, Pride is an incredibly important celebration to me and to the communities I work with and am, am a part of. Um, it's both a time to celebrate who we are and our many strengths, but it is also, and I think most importantly, a time to acknowledge those who have come before us and fought so hard for the rights that we have today. It's also a time for us to come together and mobilize to fight against the onslaught of anti-LGBTQ plus legislation that's being passed within the U.S. and globally. Um, so we've actually seen, you know, over the past several years, um, the introduction of several particularly anti-trans bills and most recently bills that restrict access to life-sustaining medical care for trans youth, specifically gender-affirming medical care. Um, and so it's a time for us to both acknowledge the uh, strides that have been made, but also to reaffirm and recommit ourselves to continuing to work for our rights. Um, Pride has always been a protest and it's thanks primarily to trans men of color, including Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera and Miss Major that we have the movement that we have today. And so I think it's really, for me, it is, it's an important celebration, um, but it's also kind of a humbling and honoring time um, and a time to get to work and to think about the work that we still have to do. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so in relation to Pride Month, Pride Month aims to raise awareness and reduce stigma. As a School of Social Work faculty member who researches intersectional stigma and discrimination and social determinants of health, can you describe how community involvement and education on the challenges that LGBTQ plus people face can create change and offer support? 
Yeah, absolutely. That is a big question. So I would say from a research perspective, community involvement and leadership is really cornerstone to everything that I do. Um, and that, you know, both from an LGBTQ specific research perspective, but also certainly from an HIV research perspective. Um, we have what's called the greater involvement of people living with HIV and AIDS or the uh, GPA principles, which really guide inclusion of people living with HIV in all development of research as well as programs um, that affect the community. I think that from the perspective of, you know, thinking about community knowledge mobilization, that hearing from the lived experiences of communities is a really powerful way to transform narratives. And I think that that also means expanding narratives. And so, you know, if we, as an LGBTQ person, we see very limited, at least historically, and still to this day, see very limited ways in which LGBTQ people are represented in the media. And so having uh, you know, community members share whole and real lives, I think can be really transformative. Are there any helpful resources regarding education on Pride Month that you'd like to share? As a general kind of over, View, I would say that consume anything created by LGBTQ people specifically. Um, read about the history of pride, including its political roots. Support LGBTQ serving organizations and particularly those focused on LGBTQ people of color by attending events and sharing media that they create. Um, um, particularly from a U of M perspective, check out you know what's available on campus through the Spectrum Center. There are a lot of researchers, you know, not just me doing really important LGBTQ specific work. Um, and I think you know during Pride it can be a great time to both look at that work, but also to reach out to folks and um, make connections and you know see how you can support and build collaborations with LGBTQ specific focused research. That's wonderful, thank you. As the podcast comes to a close, what is one thing you hope listeners remember from this conversation? So I think there's a couple of key takeaways from our conversation today. And first I should say that um, I did, you know, mention that there's a lack of formal training for uh, medical and other allied health care professionals in terms of LGBTQ health. Um, I think that one key message is that the onus is really on those in positions of power, such as healthcare providers, um, including social workers, which is my background, to educate ourselves and to learn how to provide affirming care. Um, and that means listening to our clients and our patients, but also taking trainings and really, you know, taking on the responsibility ourselves to learn, not always relying on communities to teach us about uh, their needs. I think another key point is that we've made a lot of strides in LGBTQ rights, but there's so much farther to go and work to be done to protect the rights that we have. Um, so I think another key takeaway is to listen to the needs of LGBTQ communities and community organizations as we move forward in solidarity. And then above all, while stigma and discrimination are pervasive, we are a resilient and strong community. And I just really hope that everyone has a happy pride as we celebrate uh, who we are and our many strengths.
Fantastic. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute honor to talk with you today and learn from you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to join us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.